You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Mark, Patrick, Caitlin, Mark's already laughing. So it's a jovial edition of the Beltway Briefing. Going to be Mark, a, Phil- little, a lighter mood than last Friday's. Yeah. Friday. Yeah, sorry. Nice. That was my fault. But Mark, fill us in. Are you in Bryn Mawr, Brooklyn, Marblehead, or Nantucket? Yes. Where, where are you today? Yes. Uh, Bryn Mawr yesterday, Brooklyn today, Marblehead tomorrow, Nantucket Monday. That That's like running the table right there. Absolutely. I mean, that's strong. We've reopened, Howard. Didn't you get the memo? That's strong. Mark, one of these days he's going to ask you this and you're going to be in Wichita or something. You're going to get to throw it right back at him. Mark's never been to Wichita. (laughs) I went to Oklahoma City with Blake once. We we had a discussion this week about our uh, hybrid work policy. And I, I said that um, Mark had a question, which is whether Nantucket counts as being in the office or not. Oh, and, and the answer is? TBD, Mark. Right, TBD. it's under advisement. I read the memo. Um, but let's get serious because there's some serious stuff going on out there and we won't be um, gloomy like we were last week, but... Uh, We're going to talk about a couple of things that are very much in the news. One of them is the change to the CDC guidance on masking. And the other is the Supreme Court taking up this case that um, arguably has the potential to, to undercut Roe v. Wade. It's a Mississippi law that that bans abortion after 15 weeks. And let's talk about what we're hearing from our clients about the mask changes and and what we think the political implications may be and try to look at the way some of these things are connected. So it's not news to anybody that the CDC has come out and and decided to tell the public that people who are vaccinated don't have to wear a mask. You can go maskless. And it's unleashed a flurry of questions from from clients that I've been fielding all week. Patrick, what are you hearing from clients on the mask mandate? Well, I think everyone I talk to, clients, friends, family members, whether you thought it should have happened you know, earlier or whether you are nervous that it happened too soon. I do think I felt a general sense of just happiness and relief from people, uh, which is, which is always positive for clients. Uh, you know, it was part of kind of a larger discussion around as, as things reopen with the CDC, uh, coming out with their guidance saying that if you're vaccinated, you don't need to, to wear a mask. Um, you know, it, what it, I think it's causing some of our clients to, to talk about uh, internally is they've been planning for this COVID centric sort of return to work. And we even have clients in a whole bunch of different industries who have been thinking, you know, they can play a role in sort of the, the vaccine 
kind of identification system. We've got, uh, you know, we work with uh, companies that, uh, you know, we're planning to be really involved with large scale events and how people can enter arenas and everything like that. All of this is kind of making me wonder as you see big announcements like concerts at full capacity this summer, things like here in Chicago, Lollapalooza. I actually think a lot of our clients are considering whether they need to focus on COVID as much from a business perspective. Big companies are going to have to figure out how to bring people back in person. That's, that's uh, you know, certain across all of our clients. But what I think a lot of companies are wondering is if we were planning for this vaccine uh, mass kind of oriented business line, or if we were planning that this is going to be a really long reintegration, I actually don't know if it's going to be. I think it's possible things get back to normal quicker than any of us anticipated even a month ago. I think there's this like, the way I look at it is there's this tension. Um, they want to show progress. And I think from a political point of view, the administration wants to send a signal that that we're making progress and putting the pandemic behind us. It's just confusing as heck right. to the public, to our clients, to, to everybody individually. It's like, I felt like I was just getting used to wearing a mask and then all of a sudden yeah. you don't have to wear the mask and it doesn't necessarily... I mean, I, I feel, frankly, a little more comfortable. I'd feel more comfortable personally if if they still require it. You know, it's well, Howard, required. you have the option to keep your mask on. That's what's it's great not about, about me. It's about other people. Well, I, I think, Howard, public you, expectation. You use the word that I've been repeating since that announcement came down, which is confusing. Yeah. I'm confused. It's confusing. Everybody I talk to finds confusion in, in this policy. It, it was not done well, I don't think. But as Patrick said, there, there is a sense of progress, relief. It's just that going from zero to 90 overnight is given a lot of us whiplash. <laughs> And a lot of clients, as Patrick was saying, are calling up and saying, so what happens next? This was supposed to be an interim step towards something else. But what is the something else that follows an announcement that says everything's cool, just go about your life? It, it's very confusing and, and too much too soon, I think, in a sense. The thing about government, Caitlin, is that it is, it's always the announcement that moves the, the market, so to speak. When I was at Treasury and we were doing the, the bailout, it was what moved the market was the announcement of a program, not the execution of the program. And this is moving the market on the basis of the announcement. And it's, it's and, and I think what, we, what we've been missing, what we were missing was, a trust in government and a feeling like, well, you knew what to expect. And we were dealing with the whiplash of Twitter from Donald Trump. And I'm not comparing this to, to that in a sense, but it well, does feel like, and by the way, if this had been done by Trump, I mean, can you imagine? Well, it's, 
it, it wouldn't have been announced been, by the CDC. <laughs> it would have been announced on Twitter. That's fair. It would have been too soon under Trump. It's too late under Biden. It It is never when it should be. But, you know, you, you say government and and can we trust the message from government? There was fascinating polling this week. I, I don't know if you guys also saw it, but Axios ran a story on a, a very comprehensive poll about trusted institutions in this country mm-hmm. and business. Yep. Business was far and away number one. And the question of who do you most trust to be looking out for you and your safety and your family's well-being? And the answer was my employer, of all things. So I think what what we are seeing in that environment is government coming out with a confusing policy and people not looking to government to clarify it, but looking to business. Okay, going to their employer and saying, okay, what does this mean? Tell me, tell me what I can and can't do. And it it is, at least in my lifetime, a role reversal for trusted sources of of information and and direction. It it really has some some serious implications for what comes next. And I'm sure, by the way, that Patrick and Caitlin subscribe to that answer. My employer, when when asked, <laughs> sure, sure do. When asked, whom do I most trust to take care of me? And that's my right. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a good segue because look, this administration has prided itself on following the science, and the CDC isn't going to hold back. And I'm proud. I'm glad they didn't hold back on making an announcement. And we know, and we heard there were folks within the White House that were surprised, but when this announcement came out, but. The CDC is focused on the science and the guidelines and COVID cases are declining in 50 states across the nation. You know, a couple, about two months ago, the CDC director was warning of impending doom from states like Florida and Texas that got rid of their mask mandates about two months ago. We haven't seen that materialize. We've been so focused on following the science. The CDC is following the science. And Mark, you're exactly right. Businesses have the opportunity and can make decisions and can follow state by just like throughout this whole pandemic, follow state by state guidance, look at the data in the states. But we're this should be good news. This should be something to celebrate. We're coming out of this long, yep. dark pandemic. We're getting back to work. And if you feel comfortable wearing a mask, keep wearing your mask. That's absolutely your prerogative. It, it yeah, that's a good. I agree with all that. Yeah, but, yeah, and the and it, the vaccines work, right? We should feel really good about that. I mean, I, I also, you know, there's the part of me that. So there's a part of me that is like, okay, I I have to take it at their word that this was a science-based decision, and that and, and that's that, just a really bad Biden week. Well, no, I mean the up, but the here's what I wonder too, and I Howard, I you know mentioned this to uh, Howard earlier in the week. They're also looking at, you know, trying to meet this 4th of July goal on vaccinations of 70%. And I kind of put this into three buckets. You have the people who are vaccinated, who wanted to get vaccinated uh, as as soon as possible when it was their time. You have the group of people who are never going to get vaccinated and have no interest in it. You're not going to convince them otherwise. And then you've got this other group that is really the difference between us getting to 70%, which is what all of these scientists say is you need 
to get to kind of herd immunity. And that group of people is eligible, haven't gotten the vaccine, aren't necessarily saying they're never going to get the vaccine, but for either a combination of fear, laziness, or uncertainty, haven't gotten it yet. Or and feeling that, like nothing was going to change if they well, were Well, you just, Caitlin, you totally, that was exactly my point, which is, so how do yeah. you target that group of people? And I've got to imagine that a determination was made in the federal government that in order to get those people to get vaccinated, there has to be something that changes for them. There's got to be some carrot here. And this was a pretty good one, I think, for the types of people we're talking about. I think it was the single most successful thing they could do to um, help combat some vaccine hesitancy. Really? I completely completely agree. Wow, yeah, I I gotta say, I'm not sure I see that. I hope it works. We all need it. That's the good for all. But I I think it, it was too confusing to be that, directly encouraging you know i i walked in and out of already today i've walked in and out of two stores where the sign on the door said no mask required if vaccinated as though somebody's going to be at the door demanding vaccination card and and not admitting people without masks if they can't produce a card it it's, Mark clearly hasn't been to Florida in all of 2021. Correct. Correct. But what, let me ask this. Was it so confusing what Caitlin, because... Caitlin, what, I want to ask Caitlin a question, though, since since I have not been to Florida, and apparently all answers reside in Florida, where Caitlin has been, and Patrick, so either of you can tell, tell us the answer. What, what happens next? What's the next big thing that needs to happen for the pandemic to be more over than it is now. Access to vaccines for, for younger populations. I think that's the biggest thing. Yep. I think that's right. But uh, Mark, on the confusion, were you, uh, this is, and this is a genuine question. This isn't a, as my father would say, a smart aleck question okay. is, was it confusing because what the CDC said didn't make sense in some ways, just given everything we've been told? Or was it confusing because states, localities, businesses have set up these these policies and that immediately put all of that in question and it just made everything very uncertain and complicated? I think the latter it was is both, but but more the latter. Yeah, more I agree the with latter that. because it left. Everybody, it left Chicago as a city, Illinois as a state, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania as a, a state, a commonwealth. It, it left, everything became out of sync with everything else. All of a sudden, there were different rules and, and the harmony that, that we had a, a greater measure of was, was gone. And once, <laughs> once half the people legitimately can take off their masks, according to the science, uh, why are the other half going to wear masks? Right. I'm, I'm afraid it, right. I'm just not sure it's going to promote more vaccinations. I'm afraid it's just going to promote premature removal of masks. Right. If you're, if you weren't going to get a vaccine, if you weren't going to get vaccinated before the CDC says you can take your mask, I, 
I, I just don't see it. I don't I see I think it. it's more about turning a corner and, and, you know, why rush to get vaccinated if you're still practicing social distancing, you still can't dine indoors, you still can't, you still have to wear a mask. It's showing any of the a, people, a any of the people that are doing those things already got vaccinated. I believe. You know, it, it obviously um, rubs up the question we've bumped into throughout the pandemic about personal choice and individual freedom and, and states' rights. Well, and states' rights that, yes, but freedom isn't free. There's always a price to be paid for freedom. And we have now said to the unvaccinated, okay. The government isn't going to make you put medicine in your body if you choose not to. But the price to be paid, I believe, needs to be that you then can't go certain places, do certain things. Oh, make a- come on, Mark. We, Caitlin, it's, we've already asked and answered that question in this country. You can choose not to inoculate your kid against measles. But if you make that choice, you can't send your kid to a public school where she can get other kids sick. So there there is a price to be paid for the freedom that that we all have. And I absolutely believe it's a personal choice whether to be vaccinated or not. The government's got no business ordering someone to take medicine. But there are consequences to a decision not to. And that's what I think has gotten so lost in in recent days. I just think those lines are so blurred that that it, it's hard to know what what the price we are demanding is of people who are legitimately, I think inappropriately, but legitimately choosing not to be vaccinated. Don't you want to meet the non-vaccinated person who also is extremely courteous and will still wear their mask everywhere they go? <laughs> I, would like, vaccinated- I would like to shake that guy's hand because I don't <laughs> That's think he my exists. If yeah, you're exactly. vaccinated, then you are fine. It's right, the unvaccinated no, I, and the unvaccinated. Yeah, together and I actually, I'm, I'm, I am agreeing with you. Like, I, I do think, it, I do think it helps shore up public confidence that the vaccines work. And if, if they work to the degree that the science and the data is saying they do, there shouldn't be real cause for concern with reacclimating into kind of normal public life. But you know, that there is this group of people out there that. Well, are choosing not to get vaccinated. And, and, and so where as a parent, I get concerned is the risk of my children getting infected by those people not wearing masks and, you know, my one and a half year old son who's too little to wear one. Right. So that, that's, that, that does get a little tricky. This is all different. As Patrick said a minute ago, this is all different. Once 70% of children have been vaccinated, but right now it's, well and good to say Mark and Howard are vaccinated. They don't have to be afraid of the unvaccinated, unmasked uh, errors out there. But but kids aren't. Jake isn't vaccinated. And and until kids are, I I just think it's not fair to say that that the unvaccinated pose no risk and therefore need need pay no price. I mean, look, we're doing pretty well on the vaccine, Mark. Like, 
overall half the country it's, has it's a had miracle. at least one dose. It's amazing. It is a miracle that the vaccine exists. Right. It's a miracle that it is more effective than any other vaccine that was developed over 20 years of experimentation. It's a miracle that half of Americans who you can't get to agree on what day of the week it is have been vaccinated. It's a miraculous story. I just am I'm back to your word. I'm just confused about what's supposed to happen. Yeah. And we get it. And our clients are too. And I think too, Howard, I don't know if you're going to pivot to to discussing the OSHA standards and whether or not, you know, we're in this weird limbo where the White House was going to be issuing an emergency temporary standard for workplaces. And that was actually, I think, um, President Biden's second executive order to put out those guidelines by, I think it was like March 15th. And that date's come and gone. And, you know, it begs the question. We've had clients ask us, what do we expect on this? How do we plan as a company? And, you know, there, I think there are a lot of folks that would argue that the emergency is over or ending, and maybe that's not needed. A mandate, as to your point, Mark, people trust businesses to make decisions. People trust individuals to make decisions. To to your point, Caitlin, there is this rule um, pending over at the White House. It's a occupational safe safety and health administration rule um, that is a temporary emergency standard for COVID that the Trump administration didn't want to do. It's been held up in the Biden administration. They're reviewing the final rule now. And there's this whole discussion um, about how can we say there's an emergency when you're telling people to take off their right. masks? Which is exactly the point. And I think our guidance to clients, we were on with one this morning, a manufacturing client of ours that said, we're going to tell people, we don't really know what to think anymore, but we're going to tell people on an honor system that if you've been vaccinated, you know, you're good to go. And and I think, I like, how can I, I don't think there's anything other than that you can do. And I, I do think, I think they put business, this is really hard for business it is. to deal with. And well, I, yes. I think the CDC, I just don't think people are reading the tea leaves at the level of nuance that you're talking about, that, you're, that the two of you are articulating today. I don't think that it led people to incentivize them, incentivize young your people to get vaccinated or whatever it is. I, I just don't see it. I think it's like if you weren't going before you got going. Yeah. I that's think. what I think. But maybe it's generational, Mark. That's what I'm afraid of, Howard. <laughs> that's exactly what's bothering me here. Let's do that vote again. Who's the most trusted institution in your life? Cousin O'Connor, it? naturally. Yeah, Howard, hasn't the Cozen O'Connor Board of Directors sorted this out for us? Michael Heller, I think, is the ultimate authority at Cozen on uh, public health. You should give out his cell number now. Let's (laughs) see. Um, So another very, very significant thing making news is the Supreme Court taking up this Mississippi law that bans abortions after 15 weeks, um, which 
has been reported to be um, a decision that if it goes the wrong way could could undermine Roe v. Wade. I think, you know, we don't need to get into personal views on a, on a super controversial subject, but I do think, I mean, I, I personally, I just can't imagine, I just can't imagine it. I can't imagine the Supreme Court taking away something that, a number of the justices have said is settled law. On the other hand, five to four decision last year with Justice Roberts casting the deciding vote. Um, I think it was a Louisiana law, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Howard, can I give you something anecdotal? Give, give me some anecdotal. anecdotal every Democrat anecdotal. I know thinks it's getting overturned and every Republican I know never thinks, thinks it never will. And it's just, it's just this interesting, I, I was talking about this with people all week and, and it's just, it's really interesting that people on the democratic side of the aisle believe this is what the court wants. This is what the, you know, conservative legal institutions want. And they think that they're going to do it. And most Republicans I know, um, whether they feel strongly about this issue or not, have pushed back and said, I, I don't think I don't think the court is going to well, strike down Rauer. There, there are I, clearly five votes to, to reverse Roe v. Wade on the court. The question is whether Chief Justice Roberts can convince one of them not to do it. That's yeah. what this, it, this is about the institutional integrity and future of the but, court. But it's probably but, but, Kavanaugh too, right? That's the only one of the of the five that I I feel like maybe. Patrick, you probably every Democrat you talk to probably also thought that the ACA was going to be overturned. And Not with the certainty. No, that I, I mean, I was. I remember even with that case, I was more unsure. I mean, I was very nervous about it, but I wasn't certain. Democrats I talk to, a lot of them are, 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 they feel sure. They're like, there's just no world in which we have a repeat in 1992 and, and uh, you know, the Casey decision where they work out a compromise. They just don't think this court, they think this court was built to prevent that from happening. Not to get gloomy, but this is what's wrong with politics because of course, Everybody thinks that because on both sides of the spectrum, everybody gets whipped into a frenzy about what's going to happen. And it's all on the extremes. And there are a whole bunch of people raising money right now on this basis. And it's and it's not going to be that simple at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree. You have a couple groups of people. You have a couple of viewpoints on the court for sure. I talk to people like this all the time. You have people who take a very um, idealistic view of of federal law in the Supreme Court, and right. that it's that, that these are brilliant yeah. thinkers, and they don't think monolithically. Look. And then you have cynics like me, who I'm like, <laughs> I don't, I don't agree with that at all. I I think these but, are people. It's a lot of nuance. And I, look, I want to be very clear. I I will state my personal view. I'm strongly pro-choice and I'm very concerned. I just think, but I also think that they, 
slice and dice things in nuanced ways and it's not black and white and there's going to be a whole lot of black and white discussion between now and then and i guess i'm hoping and maybe it's naive but i'm hoping at the end of the day that that it doesn't happen. And maybe that, maybe that isn't, maybe that's naive. Well, one thing we do know for sure is that both sides are going to use this as a big campaign issue. Democrats are going to use this as a reason to expand the court. Republicans, in my view, probably don't want Roe v. Wade to be overturned. It's a very tricky political issue for the Republican Party. A lot of folks wouldn't come out and say that on the record necessarily, but nobody wants to deal with this in the middle of a midterm election. Right. And that's so that's the, something we know for sure is it's going to be problem, a, it's a political football. The problem is the court took the case. The court did right. not have to hear this case. Exactly it right. takes four votes to hear the case. You can be certain that Chief Justice Roberts did not want to hear this case. You can be certain that Justice Kagan did not want to hear this case. The liberals and the chief didn't vote to hear the case. So four justices voted to hear a case they didn't have to for some reason. And the reason was not to have a nuanced explanation of why Roe is still good law, but limits can be put on abortions that are reasonable. There are at least four people up there who are determined to overturn Roe or they don't take this case. I don't. I also think Caitlin's point is interesting about Republicans. Why did they take the case, Caitlin? Yeah, why, why did they? Take- I I do believe that they are our justice system, our third, you know, pillar of our of our, demo- of our great democracy, and they're taking the question. They're 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 handling it. They're not. I don't. I don't envision they're looking at this from a political lens. I, but what's changed since there. the case? They what's changed since the last time they took it up? And almost, I, it's it's the fact that the court is different now than it was. You know, you have a different makeup, and they're going to look at it differently through that prism. I also thought your part about how Republicans are hoping it doesn't happen is interesting because I think some, you're probably right. I mean, this is one of those issues where it's like, we'll raise money on it. We'll talk, you know, we'll scream from the rooftops on it, but then it actually happens. And it's like, uh Oh, <laughs> you know, now it's, so I agree with you. I think there is kind of some nervousness politically that if next summer there's a ruling that is dramatic and either overturns row or scales it back, I mean, just doing the political analysis, armchair political analysis, I think it is a boon for the Democrats. I I, I think it will it will shore up suburban voters that, uh, you know, depending on the state of the economy, may be, you know, nervous and trending the other way. There is, I think, for the Democrats politically, it is a total. Just what this country needs is uh, something to something destabilizing to happen. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I I go back to uh, it would have been more stabilizing had four of the justices not decided to hear the case. But But if they didn't decide to hear the case based on a political purview, that would go against the oath that they took. I I know that this is sacrilegious, but uh, it would have helped if Ruth Bader Ginsburg didn't hang on until she was on her deathbed. I mean, honestly, like it's these justices, they stay on the bench too long. Um, They take a life term too literally. Yeah. And 
it, she, I maintain, I mean, I hold her in very high regard in, in every other respect, but she's, she stayed on the court too long and it's that simple. She gave away her seat. That's my view. Well, it, really? it's certainly, it's yep. true that, <laughs> it's true that her seat, um, her successor is uh, less accepted by many because it was Ginsburg's seat and an election was imminent. And it's not about that. It's she should have retired when Obama was president and enabled him to appoint a liberal yeah. justice to replace her. And she wanted to stay on for her own personal yeah. reasons. And yeah, that's not to me. That's to me. That is that's selfish. I'm going to say it. I think it's selfish. Yeah. And and ultimately hurt here. But Patrick, you look like you disagree. Well, I'm just trying to think of I mean, she would have uh, under that. I feel like she would have had to resign to get someone of her pedigree over the finish line. I mean, it probably would have had to have been before Republicans took back the Senate in 2014. That's what I was going to say. I mean, I, and I just, I, I, I mean, I just think she, you know, she would have had to resign in 2010. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> because come 2011, there there wasn't going to be a confirmation. Yeah, there would be. Well, there would have been. Yeah, I guess it would have been 2014 when the Republicans took back the Senate. That would have been when it really would have gotten. But still, you need 60 votes, unless. Well, we would have gone. Then we would have gone nuclear. I'm sure. Um, Harry Reid would have had no problem. I don't know. It's. I just. It makes me, there's, I feel like the court's out of whack. Like people stay in forever and I don't know. Well, I don't like it. Well, guys, we sure are waiting many, into the you, culture the wars out, today. I think the court's out of whack too. How many million votes did Joe Biden win by? And we have a six to three conservative Supreme Court. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I think well, the court's and, totally out of whack. Caitlin, you're, the point that you just read, raised is perhaps the most important point. It's like, yes, we're wading into the culture wars because our clients are caught in the culture wars. Right. They're getting I mean, asked some of these questions. Yeah, we're being asked these questions. You and I were asked a question last weekend by, by a client that got a question at their shareholder meeting. Um, a very challenging question on, on, a, on a law that the that the house has passed and I won't go into the specifics, but it's, um, it's, this stuff is coming up and corporations have to answer for it. So not only are they expected to, Mark, you, you pointed out the Axios poll, they're, it's, they're, it's they're pulled part and in. Parcel. Yeah, it's yeah. all part and parcel. It, it, as business has become the most trusted institution by a lot, in, in the country, business has also been pushed into the arena. It's, right. the, it's part and parcel. It's all of a piece. People trust business to know better than government, and people are therefore asking business, what do we do about the Georgia voting rights law? Right, and that is yeah. so tough. It's also so the tough. decline of trust in other institutions, right? It's government, media, I think a more secular population than existed decades ago. I mean, the fact that people are, I mean, no offense to our employer, uh, all kidding aside, but 
I mean, the fact that people are choosing to trust their employer over their pastor or, um, you know, a Walter Cronkite type figure that, you know, clearly doesn't exist anymore or, uh, government or local elected officials or it's just, that is a fascinating evolution that, and it, if I'm a, if I'm a company, like our, if I'm one of our clients that they must feel a lot of responsibility to get this right. If they want, if they know that their people are putting that much trust and faith in them. You make an important observation that I think, Patrick, because business has become the most trusted institution in the country by a lot, by default. It's right. All of the other institutions have defaulted on their credibility. It's not because business has been on a campaign to present integrity and credibility and legitimacy in political discourse. It, it's business is the last man standing. My so advice so Bernie this- Sanders is not like waving this Axios poll with excitement from the Senate floor <laughs> is what you're saying, Mark. My advice to this client was stay out of the culture wars, like as much as you can stay, stay out. And, but I, it's not fully possible and it has implications obviously for your ability to get what you need out of Washington or state and local government in the sense that, you know, it's tying up government on some level, these, these cultural issues and, it's it presents a real challenge and one that I'm sure we'll continue to talk about. All right. Well, good discussion as always. Thanks everybody for listening. Caitlin, Patrick, Mark, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. We'll take off Memorial Day weekend. Have a great week. Great Memorial Day, everybody. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Howard. Thanks, Howard. Thanks, Howard. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.